0: The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their Healthy Kitchen Oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Allie McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 245 of The Real Food Reel, we share with you a case study from a client of Ellie's here at The Natural Nutritionist, which really highlights the benefits of checking in with a qualified professional to optimize your nutrition, training, lifestyle, pathology and health. You will learn the importance of preventative health care the key blood markers that were examined, the amazing results that took place over just four months, and so much more. We hope this inspires you to check in and learn how you can make a difference to your health naturally.
1: So we're going to dive straight in with the case study, and I was really inspired to share this particular case study with listeners today because it's not your standard individual that felt horrible, knew they needed some work, came into the clinic, you know, basically like SOSing for help. So in this particular scenario, I had a gentleman that came into the clinic. He's, we could say middle-aged in early 40s and aware of the fact that he's got a family history of cardiovascular disease. So the reason he came into the clinic was not so much because he was feeling terrible, But because he was aware of the family history, aware that he was sort of getting past that, that getting into that second half of life and just wanting to sense check with a professional that he was doing the right thing by his diet for himself and also for the sake of his partner. He was really conscious of optimizing his health for the people around him, which I thought was
0: amazing. Yeah, I think this is great. I think that's so good that he's not waiting until he feels unwell or has a symptom that he's dealing with or has a chronic condition. And I think it should be celebrated that he's seeking that professional advice, which not a lot of us can say that we do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in this particular case, he almost felt like, oh, you know, I don't know if I should be coming for this conversation because I think everything's actually okay. Mm which I thought was even, even better because he was so, still willing to have the conversation. And for, for the women listening, please share this discussion with your, with your loved ones because the reality is that not enough men are seeking support mm. for their health. Not enough men are doing things from a prevent, prevention mm. standpoint. They're usually waiting until it's too late to make a difference or at least until it's too late to make a difference naturally naturally. So this this case study is a really important one
0: um, for females and in particular particular males to listen to. Yeah, definitely some inspiration there in how to approach your health, and um, you know he obviously had some fantastic results, which we'll take you through.
1: Yeah. So in the discussion we had initially. Like he was not living a terrible lifestyle. He wasn't eating food out every night. He wasn't getting Uber Eats every night. There were some vegetables in his diet and he was exercising. So he was doing strength training. Mm. But what I picked up on is that his training was all like harder, faster. Mm. He wasn't sleeping enough and he was stressed as well. So by work he was stressed and that was impacting his quality of sleep. There was a lot of cravings. So Mm. craving lots of sugary foods, salty foods, and that was having a flow on effect to his decisions. So he was eating, eating some vegetables, but there was still quite a bit in the way of processed carbohydrates. And he was also not drinking enough water. (laughs) How much? (laughs) I think he would would have been lucky to be having 500 mil a day. Okay. Right, So, you know, don't think that I've got these ridiculously high standards for water consumption, um, but 500 mils per day is quite low, Mm. especially when you're topping that with black peas and coffee.
0: And exercise. Yes, and alcohol. Mm. as well oh, yeah like a dead plant I'd feel like a dead plant anyway <laughs> wouldn't you like in my head I'm just thinking
1: of his, tr- his cells like literally shriveling and looking really limp oh, um totally. that's where my
0: head goes mm. I'm sure yeah you, you're imagining a dead plant <laughs> I but, just get so tired let alone you know what's going on underneath the bonnet
1: yeah exactly for me it's cravings yeah. I know that I get like this this insatiable appetite when I'm, when I'm dehydrated. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure we're
0: all guilty of that at times. Yes. Anyway, back to John Doe. (laughs) So yeah, so hydration
1: was one of the first things that I wanted to get started on. We had like quite a long discussion around hydration and he didn't feel as though it was an issue. He wasn't actually noticing the downsides of being dehydrated, but I, I had to just ask him to trust me and to go away and to focus on drinking enough water because it's, it's almost more important than what he was going to put on his plate firstly that hydration
0: and I think that's a really important conversation because not all of us are very much in touch with our bodies or how we feel and you know, I obviously am and you are I've known you for a long time now but what we don't want to do is assume that our clients are paying that much attention so he genuinely thought that yep. he was having enough water and he was fine but was this just what he was used to like, was that just his benchmark and yep. I think that's what it is for a lot of people until they say they see differently yeah exactly mm. and there
1: must have been something within him that thought there's room for improvement there must have been because he came in for the consultation came in looking for uh, advice mm. um so there must have been something there in him that thought that there's, there's, you know, at least room for 5% improvement, I'm sure. But perhaps what do you know that there was like room for 50% improvement yeah. in terms of how he felt, which is another important uh, message for for you if you're listening is that, you know, this, this holistic approach to your health, taking care of your diet, it's it's not always about waiting until it's too late and until you're feeling mm. like, you know, you just want to hide under a rock. Sometimes it's just about making sure that you're getting the absolute best out of yourself, you know, if you're currently at 75% trying to get you to 95%.
0: Yeah, and you may have never felt 90% or Mm. 95%, so you don't know what that's like. So, yeah, I definitely encourage that to get some support to elevate your health. And you might not even know what that feels like, which is quite incredible.
1: Yes, exactly. And for all of those people that have the, the fear of being on a diet, you know, following the guidelines that your nutritionist gives you. And I hate the word diet. So potentially, you know, let's not even call it that. But for all of those people who have a fear of eating well, it should actually not be difficult because when you start to eat well, you should start to feel so much better that it feeds the, it feeds the compliance or the decision-making process because
0: it's almost insanity eating things that make you feel like crap. It is. Time and time again. It's also being aware of the stories. You know, the story I'm telling myself is that my nutritionist is going to expect me to do it 100% of the time, which is bullshit. Like we say to all of our clients, like that old 80-20 cliche, and it is a cliche, but it's true. Like you don't have to be perfect because that doesn't even exist to achieve your goal. So it's really about being aware of the fact that you can probably, we can probably all do things better, but we're not saying that you can't enjoy yourself or, you know, include some of your favourite foods, provided Mm. that you have that discussion with your practitioner.
1: Yeah. And also on the flip side, so that story you tell you tell yourself potentially you're going out for dinner. The story some people might tell themselves is I'm out for dinner, I can have whatever I want. The reality is is if you're at a restaurant, you can still approach the menu with a sensible lens. For sure. You can still eat really well at a restaurant or that story of I'm on holiday so I'm going to eat whatever I want. You know, we don't have to allow the eating out or the being on holiday to get in the way of eating well, being well. No, but you are allowed to have a little bit of fun. (laughs) Totally. Totally are. (laughs) Cool. So you went through his goals? Went through his goals. We worked on hydration. We looked at sleep quality. We also looked at his diet, of course. Mm -hmm. So like I said, there wasn't, you know, too much in the way of Uber Eats and there wasn't fast food, but there were there were still processed foods, which I knew would have been getting in the way of his cravings. So there was still, you know, the, the toasties for breakfast, the, um, the easy to make pastas for dinner, Mm. little bits of vegetables, but the like the priority being placed on the vegetables, the good quality proteins, the anti-inflammatory fat, it was just a little bit skewed in the wrong direction. So, you know, we talked, Firstly, about hydration and getting more non-starchy vegetables in. They were two of the biggest things he had to go away and work on. And what
0: we also did was talk about him getting some blood tests. Yeah, this is where I really want to dive in because I think this is a fascinating area that's often overlooked. Yes. And in this case, I knew because he
1: wasn't aware of how poor he was feeling that actually getting the tests and seeing the numbers on a piece of paper Mm. would help to feed the compliance and the changes in in his diet, his hydration, his lifestyle you know, some people need to see numbers in
0: order to affect change. And in this case, I thought that was very much relevant. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it can be a really great inspiration for people to actually take action. Whereas previously with you suggesting a little bit more water might've, um, I've just know, been like, oh, what's that water for ducks back sort of thing. Whereas the proof of how that chronic dehydration might be impacting you is a sign that you can't ignore.
1: Yes, exactly. So,
0: we got that proof
1: we got his blood test results not too long after that initial consultation and one of the one of the things we saw in there was impaired liver markers mm. so his ggt levels were quite high and this is where we had that discussion around hydration yeah. so evidently the 500 ml of water a day is not enough and you know you You are always going Mm. to treat the individual, not the piece of paper, but, you know, 500 mil of water a day is just not enough. And we could see that on paper. So we used that to effect change
0: in in his behaviour. Yeah, And they were almost double, like even sort of the top end of the reference range. So we're not just talking about a small imbalance here. Um, And so... I think that was really important to identify early. So if he had waited any longer, then yes, there might have been some more serious impacts. Exactly. That weren't as easily corrected like you guys were able to achieve.
1: And the other scary thing is that had he not been working with anybody from a more holistic sense or had he been older is that a lot of doctors would have wanted to put it, wanted to put him on some sort of medication at this point, especially when we get into some of the other test results. And I should highlight that, that this, this John, John Doe, uh, he's not overweight. So he wasn't presenting with any physically obvious symptoms of um, metabolic dysfunction
0: Mm.
1: or chronic disease. But when we looked into his, inflammatory markers and his lipid profile there was definitely some work to
0: be done can i just say that i have done thousands of these and i have actually never seen a lipid profile this bad i'm sorry john but again he didn't even know about it so how important was him to done this blood testing with you
1: yeah exactly and this is why i'm just like credit to him for going and doing the blood testing he was he he felt relatively okay mm-hmm. but he was still willing to go and do the blood testing mm-hmm. and just such an important message so we looked at his lipid profiles and some of the standouts here were his triglycerides mm-hmm. so where do we normally want to see triglycerides well we want to see them between about 0.5 and 1 yeah correct That's so, the goal right yeah yes exactly No greater than one, for sure. So 0.5 to 1 millimoles per litre. But his initial reading was at
0: 5.3. I know. That is off the charts. And we know that the trigs are a huge sign of inflammation. Mm. And um, these are the risky ones. Well, yes. From a chronic disease point of view, we absolutely need to manage our trigs. Yeah. And what drives hydroglyceride levels? It's those refined carbohydrates to some degree. For sure. There's going to be a degree of carbohydrate intolerance. and insulin resistance under the under the bonnet so to speak
1: yeah which mm. we did find i'm mm. gonna wait till we get to the signs yes. of insulin resistance though mm-hmm. so further on his um lipid profile obviously we could look at total cholesterol it's not really the first point of call but his total cholesterol was was elevated in comparison to the reference range so that it was it was at 6.9 nanomoles per liter um we obviously also got a breakdown of its hdl is ldl but as as many of you would know from listening to previous discussions that Steph's had with Ken Sakaris on the show, is that they're not really the markers we're looking for here. It's actually that total cholesterol to HDL ratio that we're looking at, which helps to give us a picture of how dangerous his LDL particles are, Mm. so whether they're those small, densely packed ones. So in an ideal world, we'd see a TC to HDL ratio that's below 3.5, and in an okay world, we'd see it below 5 but in this person's world, the TCDHDL was at eight and I've actually
0: never seen it this high before. No, neither have I. So what that looks like is of the LDL particles, the vast majority are small and dense and carrying plaque and a high risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So action required. A hundred percent. So we had a lot of
1: conversation at this point around the reduction in processed carbohydrates, the inclusion in better quality fats, so proactively adding the avocado, the olive oil, getting more fish in his diet. Mm. You know, he asked me if eggs were okay and I said yes. And then we also talked about, again, the inclusion of processed carbohydrates and we had to have another discussion around carbohydrate timing as well to really get into the fine-tuning his real food template. So that was the lipid profile and we alluded earlier to signs of insulin resistance and in this initial blood test, his fasting blood glucose was at 7.4 millimoles per litre.
0: What did he eat the night before, like a literal carbohydrate-loading plate of
1: pasta (laughs) oh my god I wish I remembered this off the top of my head now as we know like there is going to be a bit that impacts that fasting glucose measure so it's not the be all and end all but he did get his HbA1c so his glycated hemoglobin Mm. which is always the preference because it does give us a a better understanding of average blood sugar levels so his HbA1c was at 5.3 so not bad
0: you know that's absolutely fine
1: yeah, towards the towards the like the top
0: end of what I would ideally like to see, but certainly not bad. So but what I think is really important here with a fasting glucose of seven point four, it's only gonna like worsen that mm-hmm. HBA one C in time. So this testing early before something has blown up is so important because you can fix that glucose in a matter of days. Oh, days. <laughs> Whereas the H B A one C is we're talking months. months. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Having this conversation was just it was such an so, so empowering for him. I think to have this information because he knew exactly where he was at and what he needed to do and, and why he
0: was having all the cravings. Like a seven point four is blood sugar roller coaster city. Absolutely, yeah. and peaks and troughs in
1: energy levels yeah. and the poor quality of sleep. Mm. And also there were other signs of inflammation. So there were some injuries that he was dealing yes. with as well.
0: That's a really important point to circle back to the. Triglycerides and his blood lipid profile, we often see chronic unresolved injuries with an inflammatory profile. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was, how many months was it? He went away and worked on his diet for at least four months. Mm-hmm. So it was four months of those changes that he was putting into place. And then we had repeat testing done.
0: Awesome.
1: And this is where I was like, I'm. It's like Christmas Day for me when I get repeat blood tests back, (laughs) same as when I get microbiome reports back when they're repeat because it's just I can't wait to see what's changed and what's happened as a result of all the effort that that person's gone away and put in. And in this case, like his effort was well and truly rewarded with some of the changes. So come back to one of those first markers that we talked about, which was GGT, and originally it was sort of double where we wanted mm-hmm. it to be. We didn't get it down to the, like the ideal and safe range, but we got it down by a, another 50%. Yeah. So it still came down quite significantly. And there were no pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. There, there were actually no um, supplements put into place specifically here. The focus was really on hydration. Plenty in the way of green cruciferous and sulphur-containing vegetables, and also a reduction in alcohol and caffeine intake. Yes, yeah, so liver support. Yeah, yeah, love it. Those four things alone, no pill, it really helped to significantly improve that GGT. And then I was obviously super keen to have a look at the lipid profile and that triglyceride level, which you may remember was at five point three millimoles per liter. That had come down, so it'd come down to two point four. Which, you know, it's still not inside that ideal range of 0.5 to 1 millimoles per litre, but in in respect to where it was at, to halve that
0: triglyceride level, that's really significant. Oh, yeah, and in a pretty short period of time, like, you know, you, you guys tested within four months. That's also probably not a more common scenario where, in his case, I definitely would have because of where things were mm-hmm. at. But a lot of us are probably testing every 6 to 12 months. So with more time, you can imagine where those results will land. That's Mm. even more exciting to see him get back inside that 0.5 to 1. Exactly. And then we come further down the lipid
1: profile to have a look at total cholesterol and um, total cholesterol to HDL ratio. Now, I should just highlight that total cholesterol of 6.9 originally. For some medical practitioners, that would that would spark the discussion of medication.
0: Oh, of statin drugs, 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so we got that total cholesterol figure down to 5.8. Like I said before, it wasn't the primary goal, but to see it come down I think also pieces concern of the doctor working (laughs) with this this John. But it was the total cholesterol to HDL ratio that was the focus here and that did come down as well. So that came down from an original 8 to 6.7. So there's still some work to do here and the the thing we have to keep in mind is that these markers don't don't appear you know through three months of bad eating. These markers appear through you know three years and decades of of less than ideal lifestyle and diet, but don't necessarily expect these measures to come down in the space of four months, but at least to see them coming in the right direction
0: is really great for feeding the behaviour change. Yeah, for sure. I think four months is a pretty short amount of time and and heading in the right direction is what's most important and then obviously to keep going with the changes that you've recommended.
1: Yeah. And then when it comes to blood sugar control, looking back at that glucose, that HbA1c, the changes were significant. So the fasting blood glucose came down from that pretty scary 74 to a a much more tolerable 5.3 millimoles per litre. Yeah, close enough to that goal of 5, 5.1. And then HbA1c had come down from 5.3 to 4.6, so very much within the realms of really
0: healthy blood sugar control. Yeah, and obviously then no signs of carbohydrate intolerance or diabetes risk, so that's incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah, precisely. So just such a positive story about how, you know, you might feel seemingly okay and you may still be, you know, aware enough to know that a family history of heart disease may suggest that as you get older, you should start to look at what's going on under the hood as well. I think it's just fantastic that, that John did this and even better that he saw such great results as, um, as a result of, of what effort he put into his diet and, and modifying his lifestyle. So there's obviously still a little bit of work to do, but for him, like it won't even be work anymore because he'll know that the benefits are just there and obvious. And he probably also has a really great relationship with his doctor right now as well, because his doctor is seeing these markers come in the right direction and won't be as um keen to, to recommend medication like the
0: statins. Yeah, I would have loved to have been in the room when the doctor saw the repeat results without the intervention that they were perhaps wanting to prescribe. So I think that would have been really cool to see. Mm. But yeah, like you said, really important to have a a way of monitoring things. Like I can just think of another example, just um, briefly, where a client of mine, we had got his, again, um, triglycerides down to one. You from about two and a half, so yeah. nowhere like this level. Um, but then for some reason they had stopped their, prescri- yeah. their prescription, let's yeah. say, what I had prescribed, and then we saw the numbers come back up. Yeah, And that was, again, a really interesting way to have a look at right, or what have what we stopped, what behaviour had been dropped or forgotten about, and this is the impact of that. In this particular case, there was a supplement involved yeah. and we know that some people have, trouble with compliance when it comes to supplements or they think that they need to take one bottle of magnesium or one bottle of fish oil or whatever it might be. And then they're done. Yeah, yeah. And then they're done. Whereas for this client, it was more about reiterating the importance that this was really important for them to be taking to manage the inflammation, which is something they've been working on for decades. Mm. So that was really interesting. And I think, um, again, the repeat testing can tell you a lot. Yeah,
1: about what's going
0: on. And also, you know, John
1: was John was in his early forties, so at a at a stage where he could do something about it. For some for some people, they get this analysis done and they start doing their work in their early sixties or their late sixties. And at that point, it's not always as easy to affect the same change mm-hmm. with just diet and lifestyle. I wish it always was, but sometimes it isn't, and and, and that's when there has to be supplements or medication for a short period of time. So that should be, like that message should be a really positive one for you listening is that if you are aware of these things early
0: enough and you start to take control of your health early enough, then it doesn't become a big deal. Yeah, totally. And my client in particular is 70 and has a history of statin drug usage and PPI, so Mm. proton pump inhibitors. And I often wonder um, how different his health would be now if he knew what he knows now 20 years ago and that generation unfortunately are the ones that i see struggling with their health the most most not only were they in the low fat era they were in the era where there was the over prescription of certain pharmaceuticals when we weren't aware of the side effects like we are now and so a 40 year old is quite different still probably around in the low fat era but on the back end of that over-prescription. So in a much, like you're saying, a much better position to correct things and quite quickly like we see in this example. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then unfortunately, you know, he, he, your client that you're speaking about, he's male as well, which means, you know, he's more likely to leave it until the signs are really obvious that needs to, something needs to be done. Like there's no, there's no surprise that
0: men live... Li- Their lifespan is shorter.
1: Live live shorter, yeah. Yeah. Why women live longer and men don't live as long is because they don't do things about it. Yeah. They don't take action until the warning signs are there. And, yes, some people may say that females are hypochondriacs, (laughs) but
0: uh, I would say it's more just being in tune with their body. Yeah and obviously we're generalizing here Very much. but there is that ostrich syndrome where it's the head in the sand um which we're trying to encourage you guys not to be obviously and we're here to help should you need. Mm. Yeah.
1: So in this in this scenario as you and I both do um you know, when we send people off to get their bloods tested, we provided them with a letter or I mm-hmm. provided John with a letter that he could take to his doctor. So he wasn't just walking in and saying, can I please have blood testing? He had a really clear list of blood tests that he went away and got done and there were certainly more tests done. We've talked about a small subset mm. of tests but there were there were more tests that were done and there were other tests that we haven't even talked about that were that were of relevance that we actioned. So um, things like low vitamin D levels and and. And actually his hormones were affected by that as a result as well. Mm-hmm. So his well, testosterone, testosterone <laughs> yeah, uh, but his testosterone levels were lowering as well. Yeah. But um, if you were taking notes at all, the, test, um, the tests that we asked for that we talked on in this discussion were his liver and kidney function markers. We also asked for lipid profile and we also had a look at um, his fasting blood glucose and HbA1c.
0: Yeah. So that's a really just an important topic when we do speak about blood testing because we're obviously not doctors and we do need a doctor to help support our clients' goals and request that these tests can be conducted. Um, But it's not always a smooth sailing. So just to point out that it's really important, I would love you to be really clear on who's on your team So hopefully it is a doctor that's looking at things a little bit more holistically that is willing to approve these tests via Medicare. That conversation does come down to what you're presenting with. So it's not about handing a piece of paper across the table. It's having a conversation with your doctor about what your goals are, any symptoms, if this does apply to you, and and sharing your health journey because in Australia we have an incredible medical system but doctors still need to... Get approval from Medicare to approve for these tests to be run. So just understand that there there is a layer of complexity to that sometimes because it's not always that you can get everything that you would like. Unfortunately, yes, exactly. And Steph and I tend to ask ask shoot for for the stars
1: exactly (laughs) shoot for the stars with the tests that we want to get done. But you know, funnily enough, I find that particularly men. They come back and they're usually like, "Oh, no problem." My doctor was really glad that I was in in the clinic asking for tests because men usually aren't in there asking for right. tests to be done. And again, generalising here a little bit, but if you're a male that hasn't been to the doctor for four or five years and hasn't had your blood done in those four or five years, then your doctor is probably going to be a little bit
0: more obliging when it comes to ordering yeah. those tests. Absolutely. It's it's the annual list, yeah. Like you can't unfortunately go in and get vitamin D twice a year, which I think is a broken part of the system mm-hmm. because how different is our vitamin D in winter and summer and that's a whole other conversation. But essentially that's the rule. So, yeah, of course, if you haven't had tests, done or for for four or five years, you can probably walk away with the whole suite. Mm. But then on the other hand, if you have, there might be a small to medium out-of-pocket expense and that will be ultimately your call to make on whether you just start with what's approved through Medicare or you do pay for the extras. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes those extras are
1: things we pay for on the journey. So once you've had that first round of testing done, Mm. you know, there may be some very specific tests that Certainly I might want to see within a couple of months of that first round of testing just to see we're heading in the right direction because... If all the effort that's being put in isn't necessarily affecting the change, then it's better to know sooner rather than later
0: so you can start to do something about it. Definitely. And the tests that you do get back can show you what's going on. So if mm. there's obvious inflammation, then, yeah, you might need to test a couple of other markers that are related to that and then that's where you can allocate your testing budget. It's not about just spending money blindly. If, like let's say if your blood glucose was great, Um, No, like let's say, no, it's probably a terrible example, but, you know, you might not need all of it or every single test and there's no need to spend $500 unnecessarily when you can start with what you're given through Medicare and then have a conversation with your practitioner around what you might then spend next, if anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just on that in terms of creating that wish list of tests because you are always going to be more likely to get the support from your doctor if it's not just... You know not just the standard list of bloods, but blood specifically chosen for you in your situation is that I always prefer to have a conversation with somebody um, before deciding on that that letter of recommended bloods that's going to go to the doctor so that we can refine it you know have oh, a yeah. have a conversation with somebody, understand what their goals are, what their lifestyle is like, and what testing may be required in order to help that person, you know, to the best of my ability. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people want to book in and they just want to get their bloods done and they want to come in for their first consultation and do it all there from the get go. And it's, um, it's doable, but it's, it's not necessarily the smartest way of using your doctor's time and Medicare support.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the conversation is important and that's why we, that's one of the reasons why I love to offer our complimentary 15 minute consultation because we can at least help you direct you in the right way so that you're not going away and doing things by yourself. Like let's say from today, what I don't want you to do is just go and ask for a quote unquote blood test and then come to us and realize we're missing some key markers and then we've got to repeat that process and, and take up twice the amount of time. And I just think it can be done a little bit more effectively from a time management point of view as well as, yeah, making sure that you're not unnecess- unnecessarily spending money.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do have that complimentary 15-minute consult option, um, which was just obviously a quick conversation to perhaps look at specifically at just blood testing. Um, but then there's also that... Longer fifty-minute initial consultation, which is where you'd be able to get some great advice from a foundational standpoint in terms of diet and lifestyle, and then also get a really nicely refined um, letter of recommended bloods to take to your doctor.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that. Mm. So cool. What an awesome case study. So exciting. Uh, Well done. So stoked. So happy Mm. for him, and it's it's just—it's
1: just—it just is what makes you come back time and time again to the importance of getting the foundations right. There's no point going in with a pharmaceutical intervention when you're not even hydrating yourself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I do what I do Mm. and why we do what we do. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing the case study today. I love case studies and I can't wait for more. Thanks, Steph. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love.